HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. We do more varieties and flavors of cheese than anywhere else on earth. By pushing the boundaries of what cheese can and should be, find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. Hey, 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 welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on Heritage Radio Network. It's Tuesday, September 21st, 2021, and school is back in session. So we're going to talk with some of our favorite experts about second-use fruit and farmhouse ales and some of the evolving trends in craft beer. So let's go around the room and introduce each other. I'm Jimmy Carboni. I'm the host here, Jake. Um, Jake Andrus, co-owner at Crooked Run Fermentation. In Virginia, right? Yes, Okay, Mandy. Hi, I'm Mandy. I'm an advanced Cicerone and food and beverage journalist based here in New York City. And we know you as? Oh, Beers with Mandy, of course. Beers with Mandy. You're famous. Yeah, all right. definitely like to share, share share all my journalism stories and other beer thoughts there. So, All right. And Ian? Hi, I'm Ian. Uh, I'm the head brewer at Transmitter Brewing. Uh, I've been here for just over oh, about five and a half years. Wow, that's great. So there's so much to talk to you each about, but I, I want to dive into Mandy first. So Mandy, uh, you wrote an article in Vine Pear about second-use fruit, and you part of that you interviewed Jake. So let's just talk about that article. What is second-use fruit? And, um, you know, let's, let's clue our, our listeners in because everyone's talking about fruit beers. But when I think of second-use fruit, I think about things like wine pumice being turned into grappa. Yeah, I mean, so one thing that Jake does is use wine pomace in one of his um, Saison farmhouse ales, which is a really great example of using this technique. But um, the story is covering home brewing and how to use second-use fruit. And it's really a great thing to do to get kind of us more subtle. You know, fruit beers these days are so, like, punchy, juicy, in-your-face with that fruit character. And when you use the fruit once and then use it a second time in a more subtle beer, maybe a Crisette is really popular or a Saison, you get more subtleties from that fruit. So kind of the edges of that fruit's flavor. And instead of being so in your face, it just gives you a really nice, more complex beer, um, a different character and a great way to use fruit more than once, which we're always looking for sustainability wise. Yeah. And then, and Jake, for a little intro, um, 
Tell us, I mean, you you were first crooked run brewing, but now you're crooked run fermentation. Um, how, how has your your operation evolved? Yeah, so that that's really kind of uh, dovetails with second yeast fruit too. Um, basically, we were doing a lot of um, heavily fruited uh, mixed firm beers, uh, and we were we were doing some fermentation with just the fruit, and then blending the resulting fruit wine, and we were kind of doing so much of that, it made sense to pursue a winery license. So when we added the winery license, we knew we didn't really want to do a sub-brand for it. Um, doing sub-brands is difficult. You, you got to build something that people are very unfamiliar with. And I've seen other breweries that get into wine, try to do it, and it's definitely an uphill battle. Um, so we just decided to change the name and change it to Crooked Run Fermentation. Uh, did a new little logo and uh, just put everything under that umbrella. That's great. Well, we had you. We had you on an episode. Um, went pretty deep talking about barrel aged beers earlier this year. Um, wh- when did you start using second use fruit? And then we can just talk about like that as a trend. But in particular, I know you're working with farms and and which fruits are really best for it. Sure. Yeah. So what got us into doing it was we did a uh, collaboration with Craft Cider out of New York. Um, it was a mixer in Berliner Weiss with Tanat grapes. And we bought them from a local winery and they're they're pretty expensive. I mean, all grapes are expensive, but we realized after we made it that we really didn't need the fermentables coming from the grapes. Um, And, you know, breweries can produce fermented, you know, beverage much more inexpensively than wineries can. So that got us thinking that maybe we should just use the pomace, the the grapes uh, that are, you know, the, the grape skins that are left after crushing so we tried that on a beer called Newfangled, which I'd sent to Mandy, and it turned out really nice. Um, and at that point, um, we started to to do a lot more of those beers, and then to try using some other types of se- second yeast fruit as well. Great, and Mandy, how, how did you get turned on to this uh, as a home brewer and as a writer? Yeah, I mean, I write the homebrewing column every month, so I'm constantly on the lookout for things that I can new techniques I can teach people. And um, I tasted Jake's beer, which was awesome. And also happened to talk to Jackie O's that same month, I believe. And they were talking about how they've used second use fruit for five or 10 years. So they've been doing it for a really long time, trying to get the most out of their fruit. And then uh, went to the tap room over at Threes and they were using it too. And I thought, I think three makes a trend. I think that's the rule. So um, <laughs> decided to write up the story and... Um, yeah, it's a great way, you know, like exactly what Jake said, fruit is expensive. So it's like, how can you, if you're going to go for it and get that organic fruit, how can you get the most out of it? So w- which fruits are best? And um, at what stage do, do you use the, I mean, let's say it's pomace, right? It's pomace or, or must or something. Yeah. Or like apricots, I would say stone fruits work well. You want something that's not going to be really water-based because obviously something like a watermelon is just going to disintegrate um, in your first uh, use of it. It's going to become nothing. So something that has some substance, some skin to it, maybe some pits. Um, I think peach, apricot were a couple of the ones that we talked about. Obviously grapes. Um, Certain berries like a blueberry is not really going to give you the second use flavor that you're looking for, but some raspberries and things like that that have a little more of a seed and skin to them. Um, basically, I mean, it, it is a pretty new trend as far as really calling it out and saying we're using this fruit twice. So I think experimentation is where it's at right now and figuring out what really works the best. Yeah. 
Jake, tell, take, tell me more about this because I'm still kind of like, okay, I get it. I get making wine, you know, wine pomace into grappa, but how does it quite work in beer? Well, what we really become fond of doing is um, fermenting the fruit first through a method used, uh, called carbonic maceration, which is being used more and more in winemaking and now brewing as well. Um, basically, you take the fruit and you put it in a vessel that's sealed off um, from oxygen and you, you purge it with CO2. And then you allow it to just ferment naturally with what's on the skin. Um, you don't need to add any liquid to it. The yeast will actually start to break the fruit down from the inside out. Uh, it tends to produce a really, really fruity uh, fruit wine, if that makes sense. Um, when you have 100% carbonic wines, they can be very, very juicy. But we do that, we take the liquid out, and then we press what's left over. And so what Mandy said about uh, guidelines for using second-use fruit is definitely 100% uh, right. Uh, anything that kind of holds up well. But we actually did use blueberries recently. And this kind of is not necessarily something you could do at the homebrew scales easily. But um, we have a, a wine press that, that we use. And, you know, you load grapes or whatever into it and the splatter inflates and, and pushes out all the remaining juice so that helps us get the remainder out um and then you can take the skins um or pumice and use that in a beer um but that's that's really what we've been doing recently and it's good because i think it gives you the most mileage out of everything and um if you're not going to press everything you can actually do it all in one vessel you drain the juice after carbonic maceration and blend that with whatever you're making and then you, you refill the vessel with beer or wine or whatever else you want to use for the second use fruit um so that's that's what we've been doing let me just say when we talk about this i'm, I'm obviously obsessed with good grappa so I, I i don't even know how you actually make grappa i know you start with this this wine must or you know how how do you make grappa how, how do you distill with just these kind of things Mandy, you want to take that one? I I'm not a grappa maker. <laughs> I do not know. <laughs> I can I can take a guess. <laughs> take a guess. I want to orientate orient myself and my listeners. Um, <laughs> I uh, I like grappa. I I don't know anything about. I I couldn't tell you exactly how it's made, but you really can um, distill pretty much you know anything. Um, I mean ethanol. And things like that are, are made, um, you know, from just the small amount of sugar that's in corn. So as long as, there's still always going to be sugar left in the skins and the fruit. Um, so if I had to guess, you're either relying on that sugar or just adding more cane sugar, you know, similar to rum making where you make a wash. But that that would be my guess. Yeah, I wasn't sure if you would add more liquid or just go for it on the what's left over. Um, yeah. But yeah, I was just going to mention on a homebrew scale, um, it doesn't have second use fruit doesn't have to be quite as complicated as they make it um, over. I'm sure Jake gets the most out of the flavor, but you can basically, you know, put some peaches into a Saison, empty off, go ahead and bottle that Saison and then put something maybe with a little more of a subtle character, like a grisette or something or a, a, a smaller Saison, a table beer over top of it. Um, and just as long as you're basically taking the beer right off. Well, Mandy, what, what if I'm at home, let's say I have some ripe peaches and I eat the fruit and I, and I save the pits and the skin. What, could you use that in brewing? You, I think you could try it. Um, I would say you would get like a lot of tannin extraction from that. You might get some pretty strong almond flavor from the pits, maybe more than 
what you would get as far as peach character. Um, but, you know, that's what homebrewing is fun. Maybe you split a batch and just try half of your batch on that um, and see what happens. Yeah. Well, let's get Ian in. So, Ian, uh, we invited you to the show to talk about second use fruit. We're also going to talk about a lot of other things. So. Sure. So we, we've we been doing uh, using second-use fruit for maybe three years now, um, and I think our process might be a little bit different than, than Jake's. So typically what we're doing is we're making a kettle sour that then we will primary ferment, and then uh, we'll get fresh fruit or frozen fruit, and we'll, we'll process it uh, in-house, and we will recirculate that in the, the finished sour beer. Uh, the quick sour, the, the, the kettle sour style beer. Um, let that uh, ferment in secondary and we'll crash and rack off that liquid from the fruit. Um, go and package that, whether it's kegs or cans. And then what we'll do is we'll take a, a barrel beer that's been aged for anywhere from six months to a year and a half. And we'll rack that that sour beer typically it's like a golden sour or, or just a, a your your basic straightforward sour beer that's that's barrel aged and rack that on top of that that used fruit. Wow! Um, and then and then we'll let that sit sit anywhere from uh, three to three six or nine months. Um, and then sometimes we'll we'll blend. We'll use you know if we have two kettle sours back to back. Uh, one of the, the most recent ones we did was with peaches and blueberries. Um, and so we, we reused that, that fruit after the secondary fermentation of the, the, uh, the kettle sour, and then we'll blend that, let that sit, and, and we rack that off, and then that goes into kegs, and, and we'll hand bottle that. Uh, you know, Ian, and, and it's time, time, time that you've been a transmitter. Let's go bigger. Um, I remember it was always transmitter saisons and and very limited and every beer was perfect. Um, how how has the bre- the brewery evolved and you know were you guys always using fruit you know? Yeah, and what, some of the, and what beers are what beers are are they? What beers are they? Sure. So we we have two series that we we use uh, our pH line. Uh, you know, one, two, three, four. If you're not familiar with the the naming convention uh, for transmitter, it's the the letter is the style of beer, and then the number is just the the different recipe. Um, so our pH series are, are all kettle sours, um, and that will use uh, either fresh fruit or or frozen fruit uh, that's hand processed for secondary, uh, and those are all kettle sours. And then we have uh, our H line, which is our, our harvest ales, and those are all oak aged that then get hit with uh, some type of, uh, of fruit in secondary fermentation as well. Um, and that's all typically funky beer. Um, it has you know uh, a lot of different uh, strains of yeast going on, and those will all get uh, hand bottled. Um, and if those that aren't familiar with transmitter, everything we do is uh, is conditioned in the, the package. So we'll bottle condition, keg condition, and, and can condition uh, the, the finished beer. Yeah, and in your time working there, I mean, when you go to other breweries, because I'm, I'm always fascinated with, with what you guys do in a transmitter, um, 
are there some observations you have? I mean, I don't want you to diss anyone, but <laughs> I remember years ago, Anthony sat with me and he said he was kind of saying that he always cared about giving his beers time. And it sounds like that's what you're still doing. Yeah, absolutely. So part of the deal, and I'm pouring, I just cracked the uh, Harvest Ale with blueberries and peaches. Um yeah, everything we everything we package needs to be at a final terminal gravity, and so, and the reason because we're 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 packaging uh, with additional sugar and yeast, and so if you have unfermentable or uh, fermentable sugar still left in that 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 beer, you're going to create bottle bombs. Uh, you're going to you know have overcarbonated kegs. Uh, so on and so forth. So, yeah, when, when we when I go out and, and taste other people's fruited sours and, and such, and you know, folks are adding lactose, and you know, they add the the fresh fruit, you know, a day or two before they package it. It's you know, this these big juicy bombs that you know are so overpowering, and you really don't taste the 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 base beer, the, the beer. Uh, and I, sometimes I don't even call that beer. Like a lot of, a lot of places are just packaging fruit juice. <laughs> wow. Hey, uh, Jake. So how does it all fit with you guys as, as crooked run fermentation, you know, in terms of your, your packaging and your production, you've got wines, you've got fruit beers, you've got, you know, barrel aged beers. How is it all working together? Cause everything I've had of yours has been great. Thanks, Jimmy. Yeah, so we just try to make something for everybody. I mean, our passion tends to be more mixed firm, uh, natural wine, cool ship beers, and lagers. But uh, we we make we try to make everything, and we try to put as much thought and care into every style. So we do we do over fruited smoothie stuff as well. But we made the decision to to really mostly stick to seltzers for those beers. Um, it's undeniable that unfermented fruit adds some really positive things. And there's been a, you know, a fair amount of resistance in the industry, mostly based upon the fact that, um, you know, some of the breweries doing it would have cans that exploded. Um, but you can pasteurize them and that won't happen. Um, they are difficult to serve in the keg, though. There's some other quality concerns, but the results are, are pretty good. But we mostly stuck the seltzer for that because Ian is right. Like, I'm not really sure how those beers are really beer at all they they're you know a third to 50 percent fruit puree um so we kind of decided to just stick to seltzers for that because if it's not really a beer to begin with then if you're kind of a purist then there's not really much to say it's like yeah this is not beer um but it all fits together pretty well and we've got this mixed room uh mixed rooms golden sours with fruit we that you know finished totally dry and then we have uh, fruit smoothie seltzers and, and other stuff like that too. So just something for everybody. Hey, um, hey Jake, can I jump in? What are you guys doing to test for, for terminal gravity? On, um, on our, our mixed room stuff? Uh, yeah. I mean, it, it sounds like you guys are, are looking for on the mixed room stuff, something that is, you know, is totally dry. So, 
Yeah, we, I mean, most of the time they're spending like a, at least a year in the barrel. So we figured like they're, they're finishing between like zero and, and one, uh, maybe 1.5, um, but usually yeah. closer down to zero. Yeah. That's interesting. Mandy, what do you think of this conversation so far? <laughs> I mean, those are my favorite kind of beers that finish down around zero. So that's why I'm a, I'm a fan of both Transmitter and uh, the mixed firm stuff down uh, that Jake's making. So um, definitely, definitely that's my style. Like I was talking about before we started recording, those like really dry French saisons are usually what I'm home brewing at home. So not too far off. Well, Mandy, I wanted to talk to you for a long time. Um, I'm so proud of you that I know you've been winning a lot of awards for the American Homebrew Association. Just tell us how you got into this field because you started as an Instagrammer or what? No, yeah, I got into beer kind of how I got into home cooking and home bread making and baking, everything like that. I just really like to make everything from scratch. Um, and, you know, there's there's more fun equipment to buy as a home brewer and ways to upgrade things and to track your recipes and stuff. So I really got into the kind of geeking side of home brewing. Uh, and in 2016, that was the first year I entered the national homebrew competition. And I got a gold for my Saison. And from there, I met so many people that weekend. It was my first time ever going to like a real beer event. Uh, so I started the Instagram kind of to stay, stay in touch and meet new beer people and home brewers and things like that. Um, I actually started on Twitter, I should say. I didn't start the Instagram until 2018 because in 2016, I don't think anyone was on Instagram as much. So <laughs> I started, started taking some pictures and doing that kind of thing in 2018 um, after I'd already gotten my certified Cicerone. So... Been then, yeah, three then, years now, I guess. And when, when did you get into the Cicerone program? Same. Actually, that was, like, I guess, a fateful weekend for me in 2016 because uh, Cicerone had a, a little, like, table in the National Homebrew Competition Conference Center. Uh, and I got interested, and they were saying, you know, if you already know your styles, you already obviously know the brewing process to be able to homebrew, you're halfway there to getting your certification. So um started there got my advanced in 2019 and then I'm going for master in November so <laughs> I'm sitting at my desk that's covered in flashcards right now uh getting ready for that well I, I'm really proud of you I, I mean you're a real educator like there's there's two advanced Cicerones whom I know now and they're you're both educating so you know M. Souter at Pints and Panels you know oh, it's yeah. like she, she's always putting out like the beer recipes through her graphics and, and beer styles. And today I was reading your Instagram and a lot of times with Instagram, we don't read it. We just see the pictures. And I was actually like, Whoa, she's talking about decoction. And I was like, I, I still don't understand what de decoction is. Well, I hope you understand it a little better after um, reading that <laughs> caption. <laughs> you know, I did. I, and I, re I reached out to Chris Loring from Notch Brewing and I'm like, Chris, we got to do a October show about de decoction brew. So. Yeah, definitely. I mean, my next home, my next fine pair column coming out probably sometime this week, maybe next, is about Oktoberfests. Um, because if you're in Munich and you're drinking an Oktoberfest beer, it's going to be a really light, golden um, lager. And here in America, we think of Oktoberfest as that like amber, kind of darker, a little bit more full mouthfeel uh, Marzen. So two separate styles kind of existing out there under the name Oktoberfest. Yeah. And uh, Ian, have you made any Oktoberfest beers? I know you guys—you guys make a great like old school lager that I really like. 
Yeah, we just came out with uh, our pre-prohibition lager, uh, which is a, an American-style lager that has six-row and plate corn in it. Uh, and that we, we lagered that uh, almost 10 weeks this time. Uh, and then because we're package conditioning, it, it gets another almost month in the, the keg before we'll, we'll put it up and, and sell it. Um, but yeah, we do, we do a Marzen. Um, we try and stay away from, uh, doing a, a strictly Oktoberfest, um, just because the, you know, we don't want to corner ourselves into having to, to have that ready by, you know, September 1st. Um, we actually have a, a margin that we're packaging next week. It, uh, we felt like we needed uh, some additional lager time, uh, and that's going to go close to 12 weeks of lager time. Um, and so, yeah, we, we definitely would have missed the, uh, the Oktoberfest uh, September deadline. Well, that, that, that's thumbs up to you guys, Transmitter. You, you guys are not on anybody else's schedule except for when, when the beer is ready, right? Yeah, absolutely. There's, there's no, I mean, I, it's funny just to see, you know, a lot of places are beholden to the six week lager time. And, and I don't know if that's who, who came up with that or, or, or why it is designated as a, a six week uh, time. I think, I think you really have to taste the product and, and, and figure out when it's ready. Like just because your six weeks is up doesn't mean, all right, it's time to, push it over to the, the bright tank. Let's carve the shit out of this and put it in a keg. Like, yeah, it, it yeah. We, we let the beer tell, tell us when, when it's ready. And, uh, we kind of go from there. Uh, no, that's, that's beautiful. Yeah. I'm going to run over to West side, uh, market on third Avenue in the East village and grab some of your pre-prohibition lager. Cause I know that right now, Martin there has a great selection of beer always. Hey, Jake, before we were talking about, we're talking about seasonality and you said you, you, you're making second use fruit in the summer because you have the fruit. How, how, like how available are farms to you? And you want to give a shout out to some of the farms you work with. And then I'm going to ask you to tell me about, you know, how long you're, you're going to, you know, hold these beers that you're making in the summer. Yeah, we uh, we get a lot of our fruit. Well, we get all of our fruit at this point from Virginia, all of our uh, our whole fruit. Um, but most of it comes from Agroberry Farms outside Richmond. Um, then locally, uh, Great Country Farms, and this is all for for fruit other than grapes. Uh, we get our grapes from a couple local wineries, um, Walsh Family Wine, Fabioli Cellars. We don't grow anything ourselves. We're in flex warehouse space, so it's not really an option for us. But those those are all the ones we're, we're currently using right now. And then in terms of, of how much time these beers get, they usually get about a, a year. If, if they have PDO in them, they, they get a lot more time. Um, we have a couple beers that we just use a brand, a blend of uh, Lacto Brevis and Brett B, uh, and that's worked pretty well. And those can be done actually pretty quickly. Um, but they're almost more akin to like, maybe old school Berliner Weiss where like you kind of had a, a very mixed fermentation going on. Um, everything else, one to two years, our oldest, we have our first goose coming out uh, tentatively in spring, but that of course is going to have beer that's at this point, three and a half years old. Wow. 
And do, and do you separate your, you know, your, your sour and fruity beers from your, your non-sour beers and your wines? I mean, how, how was your, how was your, uh, is it, it's not a brewery winery. What, what do you call your facilities? I don't know. <laughs> um, I, I, I'm not sure. I mean, it definitely doesn't fit the bill of typical winery and I, I wouldn't really call it like me. I don't know. Um, I hadn't thought about that, but I will say we put all of our low intervention wine and mixed fermentation beer on one side, which is a separate space that we got over the course of the pandemic. Um, everything was already separated before that, but it helped to have almost a completely new bay just for that stuff. Um, so it's all segregated. And if you're working on that side, typically you don't work on the other side the same day. And do you have to change your shoes or something? Or We just spray them down with alcohol. <laughs> you like that, right? I'm thinking about one time I went to the, the Zabret's hot dog factory in the Bronx, and we had to go in and put hairnets on and these, like, blue blue suits on over everything. And uh, they, they have – I understand it's – it's you're, you're actually in food production, right? I mean, once you're getting into fruits and, and wines and, and sours – you, you have to really follow a lot of different standards, don't you? Yeah, it's not as heavily regulated because beer, even if it might not taste great, can't really become unsafe to consume as long as no chemicals or anything go into it. But yeah, I mean, uh, people wear gloves and really you're, you're supposed to wear a hair and beard net, I believe in Virginia. That's not really commonly observed, but at least that. Yeah. Hey, Mandy, um, I know you wanted to, to ask uh, Ian some questions about uh, other styles of beer. Oh, yeah. No, I just think it's awesome. Um, like a fully farmhouse based brewery, although obviously some loggers in there. Uh, I have a series about farmhouse brewing. That's how I came across Jake. Um, and so, yeah, I just would love one day to do try this farmhouse with a transmitter and talk about what what makes them stand apart um do you guys work with farmers or anything like that in the the new york state ian so we do we have a series of beers which is ny uh you know one two three four five six i think i think there's six of them um in which we we use all new york uh new york state malt and hops uh whether that malt is actually grown in new york we we don't know uh, but we use the the new york monsters for that um, however, most of those beers aren't what I would consider, uh, a farmhouse style. Um, we do have, um, uh, NY1, which is a rye saison, um, which I guess you could, could lump into the, the farmhouse category. Um, we, we kind of differentiate saison from farmhouse, mm -hmm. um, which I think is fairly different from most, most breweries. So our, our F line, our F label, um, all use uh, at least one strain of bread. Um, and those are all, all actually all stainless uh, fermented beers. Um, and so our, our Saisons, which is the S, S1, 2, 3, 4, et cetera, um, is all Saison yeast, but it's, it's pretty typically it's going to be bread and um, uh, Saccharomyces, and so those are all clean, clean beers, uh, also uh, fermented and stainless. 
Are they all the same Saison strain? Do you guys know what you use or use the? No. So every so S one. S2, S3, S4, S, what is S5? I don't even know what S5 is <laughs> off the top of my head. Uh, S6. Um, so I would say there's all, for all the saisons we do, there's probably eight different strains. Oh, wow. That we're using. Um, and then our F series um, some of them is mixed firm, so we'll use primary uh, Saccharomyces, um, and then in secondary we'll get hit with uh, with bread. Um, and so there's, we probably have active. We have four to five different strains of bread. Yeah, I think F four is my my go to when people ask for a local local farmhouse ale or saison recommendation. Yeah, that's our triple bread. Triple bread. It has it's uh it's three different strains. Um, and I, off the top of my head, I, I can't remember which ones they are. I, I will say that th- that's the most I've ever heard um, your numbers and letters explained, Ian. So <laughs> my head's kind of spinning, but I I, I, I love people, your beer. People either love it or they hate it. They're like, we can, I can never remember which number. But then at the same time, they're like, oh, I always I always know my favorites, or like it's it's so easy to you know, to come in and remember, you know, the one I liked. So, yeah. Hey, this, we're off to a great start. And, and what's cool is, uh, the, the next step is that cider week is next week. So, um, we'll be kicking off cider week, on October 2nd at cider feast in Brooklyn. You can check it out at Jimmy's number 43.com. And, um, there's a lot going on around the whole New York state for cider week. Uh, it's, it's been changed into a statewide event and the real focus is getting people to go to cideries kind of like wine trails are uh, upstate. So check it out at uh, cider week, New York. All right. We'll be back in a few minutes on beer sessions radio. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin cheese. Wisconsin, the state of cheese, makes half of the nation's specialty cheese and wins more awards than any other state or country. Our heritage and traditions, master cheesemaker program, and the American propensity for innovation all put Wisconsin on the cutting wedge of cheesemaking. With over 600 varieties of cheese to choose from and 5,500 national and international awards and counting, Get ready to turn your refrigerator into a trophy case. Enjoying a Wisconsin cheese is basically like winning a gold medal in culinary achievement. Set your mind at cheese. When you bite into a wedge of Wisconsin Wonderful, you know it is made with the ultimate skill and passion possible. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. Hey, 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 welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on Heritage Radio Network. Become a member and support us at heritageradionetwork.org. So we're talking about second-use fruit and kind of the evolving craft beer scene uh, with Jake from Crooked Run Fermentation, Mandy Naglish from Beers with Mandy, and Ian Combs of Transmitter Brewing. Um, well, this this is quite an interesting uh, but also kind of obscure um, topic when, when – it got pitched to me the idea of using second use fruit and I'm still stuck on, okay, you've got wine must and you make grappa. <laughs> um, 
you know, I'm not really thinking as a brewer because I'm not a brewer, but I, I do think as like a pub owner and as a consumer, it's like, what, what is second use fruit going to do for my palate? Um, uh, that yeast or hops or aren't Jake, you want to talk about that one? Sure. Well, so Cause I, I don't really want a fruity beer, but I do appreciate things like goozes and, you know, um, creeks and, and other like lambics that have fruit in them. Yeah. So when you second use fruit, it's, this is kind of hard to explain, but if you're removing, um, you know, the liquid in it, if you were to use, and this is just, uh, to, you know, I'm kind of making up numbers here, but just for, for the sake of explanation, if you had like 60 pounds of uh, unfermented fruit, that, you know, after the water is removed would weigh considerably less. So if you use this, the equivalent amount of second use fruit, especially if like you've allowed the liquid to come out of it, like theoretically, you, you might be able to have like 60 pounds of pomace equal like 600 pounds of grapes in terms of of you know some of the flavors you're going to get out of it and obviously that depends on a lot on how much is left in the skin but you can get a surprising amount out of second use it's it can be subtle but it can definitely be not subtle uh particularly with grapes we actually did one with blueberries and blueberries a lot of flavors in the skins uh, we did a paquette, which is like a low ABV wine made with second use fruit, and we used blueberries. And it's actually more blueberry forward than a lot of beers we've made with even more blueberries. So the skins still pack quite a bit, but they can be pretty subtle too. You really just kind of have to mess around and figure it out. But the more flavor and tannins in the skins, the more flavor you're going to get out of it. So in, in terms of styles, I don't know if Mandy wants to take this. How do consumers like perceive these beers or these mixed fermentate ferments like piquette as a wine. I know my, my, my wife t tried some and it just, it wasn't what she was thinking when she, when she got wine. Um, is there a style that, that you can say this is or a way to communicate to a, like a customer at, at, at your tap room, Jake, let's go Jake. <laughs> it's Jake. <laughs> well, style wise that they're, kind of all over the place but they are kind of going to be usually uh, some type of grisette or saison or golden sour um i in the description i would just always tell people like whether it's going to be subtle fruit flavor or more than that but i i can't really say it wouldn't be anything specific the only thing i can say is like so far for wine it's always been these paquettes which are these little four percent wines made of second use fruit and that's even kind of hard to describe like I would say it's kind of like wine seltzer, but it's more full flavored than that. So it's just kind of its own thing. That, yeah, wasn't, again, that, wasn't, that wasn't a very good answer, but I, I really <laughs> don't know how to describe it. It's just like, it all depends on, on how the beer turns out. Yeah. And it, you have to be open to trying things, don't you? Yeah, for sure. Which, which yeah. anybody into mixed fermentation beer is pretty open anyways. So they're cool with it. Yeah. And Hey Ian, um, I saw you posted about making um, some some canned, Belgian style candied sugar. Um, talking about styles, when I think of styles, I I always think about drinking really good Belgian triples and how smooth they are and how deceptively strong. Um, what are you doing with the, the Belgian sugar? Yeah, so we we just take your regular old Domino sugar, the table sugar, 
and we'll depending on the the, the style of beer, uh, we will uh, we'll cook it down. Um, so for for our triples, um, it doesn't cook very long because we don't want to add any color to the the finished beer. Um, and so most of our triples will will just uh, dilute the table sugar. Um, you know, cook it for you know twenty or thirty minutes just to kill anything that's that's living in it, um, and then we'll recirculate that in our uh, our triples in the the tank, um, and then that that goes and and referments uh, rather quickly. Uh, but the I think what you were talking about the the post I made, we we have a the Belgian double that we make and. That, that candy sugar will cook for anywhere from two to four days. Uh, and so it, it ends up the, the, the final sugar product is uh, almost like molasses. And so that, that'll get added to the, the Whirlpool kettle um, and then sent to the fermenter. And, and it, it's amazing how, how much depth... Uh, of flavor you can get from, from that candy sugar. Um, we've always made it in house. It's way cheaper than buying it. Uh, you know, the, the, the super dark Belgian candy sugar you can find online is ridiculously expensive for, you know, what it is. It's just sugar. Um, and so we've always made it in house. Um, and we kind of have, you know, obviously more control over, uh, the flavor profile then as well. Mandy, um, I was just talking about styles and, and your your homebrew articles and recipes and things. Are, are there certain styles of beer that are more popular, you know, in your writing or in your homebrew crowd? Like, is yeah, I mean, IPA is going to be <laughs> um, pretty much you can call anything an IPA now. Uh, you know, you have your sour IPAs, your fruited IPAs, your imperial ipas or milkshake ipas um they're finding a lot of ways to uh work ipa in there i would say the only ipa that didn't survive is probably the brute ipa um but it's funny ian was mentioning earlier how they label their farmhouse versus saison as far as farmhouse sales um and i have this um very nascent tiktok but one of the questions i was getting was like what what can i expect like a uh a sour beer versus a farmhouse ale versus Saison. And I think those lines are getting a little bit more blurred. Um, people put mixed fermentation on some things. People put Saison on other things that aren't clean. And then other people like Ian use Saison to kind of signal that it is something clean. Sometimes they'll say mixed fermentation Saison. Um, so I think people are curious about those things, but it's like a little precarious if you're just kind of becoming adventurous and getting interested in things. Um, you might order something that you think will taste like Saison DuPont and it will taste more like um, a, a fruit lambic or something. So, uh, yeah, as far as yeah. what, what we're talking about, second use fruit, that kind of thing. I mean, do you think it's a problem that, that there is there is such a wide range of, of flavors and everything? Um, <laughs> I mean, I don't think it's a problem about the flavors. I do think it's maybe a problem for consumers and it's something that I personally am trying to like help communicate more and get people a little bit more interested in trying new things. I would love for people to really understand what Brett is. I think 
Brett can make just some really great dry, fruity beers that aren't, you know, tasting of horse blanket and tasting of barnyard that people always expect. Um, and I think people see kind of those, those code words, you know, Brett or mixed fermentation, and they just get a little bit afraid where they might be a little more open to something like Saison or sour IPA. Man, um, man, here's a beer question. Okay. Mm-hmm. I know you're practicing for your master Cicerone. What's a, <laughs> what's a classic Belgian beer that is made with Brett that's also an IPA? That's also an IPA. I mean, I don't know. I would say people call Orval like a Brett beer with that's a Belgian pale ale. That's as close as I can think of off the top of my head. I was wrong. I was thinking Orval, so. (laughs) I thought that's what you were thinking. (laughs) Do I pass? Am I a master Cicerone now? (laughs) You pass. I'm I'm probably still at the Cicerone server level like I was 12 years ago. But, um, uh, yeah, we'll have some fun with you. How about this? Ian, Mandy's going up for the master Cicerone. What, what what's a, a question you'd want to ask her to test her knowledge? Because oh, we know I, you know the answer, so I don't. <laughs> I don't know anything about the BJCP guidelines or like style wise. Um, a, a lot of the reasons why we don't submit a lot of beer to competitions is because our beer doesn't fit into those styles and like that cate- those categories. Um, and I, I think a lot there are a lot of breweries like that um, that don't really care about the style guidelines, um, and it's I, it, I guess it's hard to, to navigate. Um, you know, when when you do decide to submit for you know the Great American Beer Festival or, or competition or some of the New York State uh, competitions. Um, We'll, we will sit down and decide or kind of talk through where do we think, you know, a certain beer should go for, for its best placement. And so I, I think there, there are a lot of, you know, the 8,000 plus breweries. I, I think there are a, a handful that, that aren't really concerned with, with the style guidelines. Um, so you, you, you just don't submit it all to GABF? We didn't this year. Uh, we have in the past. Um, and, you know, we, it's funny because we'll get feedback from the judges and, you know, well, a lot of times the, the beer is too carbonated for the Belgian Cezanne category. Like we're bottle finishing and, you know, we're shooting for like 3.2, 3.3 volumes and, that's how we like to drink it. So, you know, it's, it's, it, it can be frustrating sometimes. Um, can, can I ask you a question? Go for it, Jake. I, I, on that note, that was something I, I wanted to ask you. Uh, Cause you mentioned um, natural carbonation and can conditioning a fair amount. Um, why, why do you guys do that so much? We've, we've always have, we, so we, we didn't can when we first opened. Uh, we just did fi- uh, 750 uh, bombers, uh, cork and cage. And um, it was just that's that was the, the way that the, the two owners, Rob and Anthony, homebrewed. They, they packaged, conditioned everything. Um, it's kind of fits with the style of beers we make. Um, yeah. However, we are making a lot more lagers and package conditioning lager is, 
can be a little tricky. Um, but yeah, we've, I don't even know how to use a carb stone or how to force carbonate beer. We like, we like natural carbonation too. Um, we, we do both, but, uh, on anything bottled that isn't a stout, it's getting, it's getting naturally carbonated. I, I think it produced some good flavors on, on mixed room stuff for sure. But yeah, that's, yeah that's the, cool. the, the mouthfeel, you know, you, you get a tighter, smaller bubble, I think. Um, yeah. and, and you're able to, to, to carbonate way higher than, um, you know, a canning line can actually can yeah, a product. What's, what's the limit? How high do you guys go on cans? Um, I mean, we typically, it, it's style dependent, but, um, you know, the Saison's will, you know, two, nine, three, two, Oh, cool. Ish. Our gold, our gold nails are are above three, um, and that that leaves a little bit of wiggle room for uh, additional attenuation if the you know the beer sits around a little bit longer than we expected. Or mm-hmm. um, you know, it's funny to sometimes a lot of times we'll say you know the the last beer that leaves the the, the brewery is probably the best tasting one. Oh yeah. Because it has just all that time, that extra time to, to really condition and, and, you know, drop right. And, you know, the, the, the one thing with package conditioning is it, we really struggle to make uh, cloudy or hazy beer. It's almost impossible. Like every beer that, that we make is drops bright. I mean, to, to me, it doesn't matter. Like, I don't really see why beer has to be cloudy. <laughs> I mean... I don't even know why that became a trend, but <laughs> um, I don't think it tastes. I don't think it tastes good. I agree. I, I, you know, I and, and it, it it can do a number on your stomach if you're drinking a lot. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up, Ian, because uh, I, I do think good beer takes time, and and and, and beer is important to me. This is why I'm, I I think where I'm going with this show is that I I don't necessarily I'm not hardcore about styles. But I want a well-made beer, and and I also care. Like when I was years ago, when I used to drink a lot of triples, Belgian triples, I started learning that that certain beers gave me a really bad headache. I mean, I'm talking about drinking multiple triples at, when you're working in a pub, but um, that was my thing. And um, then I, I, there were certain beers. I'm not going to name them. That whether they whether it was what sugar they used or how they used it, or perhaps they were just using malts um, instead of sugar. I didn't get a headache. So I, I, I'm a, I'm like, I feel like I'm a, a heavy drinker consumer and I'm like, I care about how I feel the next day. And, and I still don't know. It's, it's like, I judge a beer by, wow, I had that beer, I had two beers. They were IPAs. I felt like shit the next day and other beers. I had two beers and I felt great. In fact, I'm going to give a plug to, I've been up in Boston. My friends at Lamplighter in Cambridge, they made a wet hop. It's called a harvest ale, but it, it's like a 6% pale ale wet hop cambridge summer end of summer beer and i i was at the pub yesterday i had two two of those and i felt great this morning you know maybe may a little a little groggy but i didn't have any like headache or or bad feeling and um you thinking that that part of that is the ingredients you use but also the time yeah i mean i i think you know under attenuated beer that is is sweet and hazy and juicy like a lot of the, the the ipas will make you feel pretty terrible the next day 
Yeah. So it is a holistic thing because I, I, I always I think that beer and alcohols can be part of a healthy lifestyle, but it's also like you can't drink bad crap either. You know, um, you, you, you should I always feel like you should be able to have a beer and pick yourself up after a long day or you went for a run or something. There's definitely good things in it, electrolytes and other things. And I'm uh, <laughs> I can't I guess you can't say there's health benefits, but I feel like well-made alcoholic products from, you know, good ingredients is 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 a can be a plus to your life, you know. Jake, what about you with with the use of fruits and everything? You probably get into a lot of confusion amongst your consumers. Um, are most of these things sold in 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 your tap rooms, or are you also packaging a lot of a lot of th- different styles of products? Um, yeah, we we uh, we bottle and can everything that we make, as well as offer draft. Well. Uh, um, and then we don't really do a lot of distribution, so it is mostly going out the door at our own place, which is good because consumers, you know, can have everything explained to them, and we've got a, a good tap from staff, so there isn't too much confusion. Yeah, Ian, do you have a question for Jake as a brewer? Hmm. You can go back to second use fruit or mixed fermentation. Yeah, I guess for the second use fruit. Um, so you guys are, you're you're squeezing or you're you're processing and you're, you're taking essentially the the juices from those fruit and then blending with, you know, whatever whatever base beer package that and then then you're racking. Is it always sour beer on top of it or, or what? The second use fruit or the second use beers. What's yeah, it's 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 always mixed from stuff. It, because we don't know what was on the skins and it most certainly includes some type of wild yeast, if not other stuff. But I wish, man, I mean, like I've thought about using pomace in a clean beer, um, especially if like we made a tea with it first with some, some very hot water and then pump that in. I think that'd be pretty cool, but I haven't gotten around to it yet. Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. Hey, M- Mandy, what's something that we didn't cover uh, in the show today? Related to your article, I know you talked to Matt Levy from Threes. He wasn't able to come on, but he was very enthusiastic about this subject. Yeah, they have a they have a whole series at Threes where they're just trying trying different fruits second use. So I'm sure. And I also talked to I think uh, the guys at Wild East here um, in New York who also are doing a lot of second use fruit, mostly with grisette, which they also use mixed fermentation. Um, but I guess what I, I mean the whole point of the article and what I would say for anyone listening is just that it's a, a really fun thing to do. Um, homebrew wise, you know, you, like you were saying, it's kind of hard to grasp when we're just talking about it. And I don't think it's necessarily something that brewers would use as a marketing tactic or even necessarily try to explain to consumers, but it is a different kind of flavor you can get from the fruit. Um, if you were going to try it at home, I would suggest, I thought peaches are really successful. I haven't tried apricots, but I've heard good things about that as well. Um, I don't know how, how many of us are going to be able to get our hands on wine grapes or spent wine grapes. So, um, you you might be able to get them really. I mean, if you're in New York, it's going to be more difficult, but like if you're in in a state that has, you know, any vineyards, just shoot them an email because they're composting most of it. It, the first time we did it before we actually started making wine, we just went to our, our local winery we're friends with. And I just pulled up in a truck with a, a bunch of bins and just, you know, we filled them up off of their, their, um, their press and 
they were they were going out in the field otherwise. So like they got tons of it. So maybe I need to make a, a road trip up to the Finger Lakes and just yeah, <laughs> fill, a, fill a carboy in my trunk. You can freeze it too. Um, we did a collab with Unseen Creatures down in Miami, and I just mailed them a bunch of frozen uh, pomis for it. Oh wow! So did you just like dry ice it in the mail, or do you I, I vacuum sealed it and I froze it and I just shipped it as quickly as I could. Wow! Wow! There you go. Hey, I'd like just like to add add one more thing. So, um, you know, we we're talking about second use use fruit. Obviously, um, you know, a, a lot of times you're not going to get a ton of flavor out of it, but you still can get a ton of color. And so, if you have if you have a beer that you just want, you know, like that's the reason we use blueberries a lot um, because there's so much color still left in that that second use blueberry, where you might not get a ton of flavor. Um, so to speak, but you can, you can turn, you know, your, your golden ale into, you know, a nice, you know, pink or purple hue. Um, so that, that's, that's another reason to, to, you can use it. Yeah. Now you're reminded, I can't believe we haven't mentioned cherries yet, but that's another great second use. Um, their pits have a lot of flavor and they would have a lot of good color as well. So. Wow. I really appreciate this, guys. This great introduction to second-use fruit, and uh, we covered a lot of things: natural, na- natural carbonation, and fermenting. And um, just want to say thank you, guys, so much for joining me here on Heritage Radio Network. Let's go around the room one more time, and everyone just uh, say their name and where they're working, and we'll sign off. Jake, Jake Endress, co-owner of Crooked Run Fermentation in Virginia. And before I go, Ian, I'm up in Brooklyn fairly often. I'll definitely come visit you guys next time I'm up. Oh, please do. Great. Ian? Uh, Ian Kalmus, uh, head brewer at Transmitter Brewing. Uh, we're located in the Brooklyn Navy Yard. Come see us. All right. And Mandy? Um, I'm Mandy from Beers with Mandy. And uh, yeah, you guys can follow me and you'll see definitely some Crooked Run as well as some Transmitter on, on Instagram. And oh, wait, uh, Jake, what, what's a Crooked Run that, that, that we're drinking or talking about today besides the, the, new, the new Foundland? Uh, Newfangled, yeah. Uh, I think the other one, the other second use uh, free one that I sent was um, called Gob. Uh, is a grisette with second use blackberries. Great. And Mandy, when are you taking the Master Cicerone test? November 3rd and 4th. All right. You're going to let us know when you find out. It takes a while for the results, doesn't it? Yeah, they usually like to call right before Christmas, which is uh, <laughs> a really nice treat. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And, and Ian, it's great to talk to you again, my friend. Uh, I think last time I saw you was like a week before the pandemic. Uh, we were at KCBC during Beer Week. Oh, so, that's right. Uh, oh, yeah. So thanks so much, guys. A big thanks to Armin, our engineer, for uh, working with us and making this sound good. And it'll, it'll be, when you hear this, it'll be a few days later. It'll be, it'll be a live podcast on Heritage Radio Network. We'll catch you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. All right, guys. Thanks so much. Thanks, Jimmy. Woo, all right. Beer Sessions Radio is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Food radio is supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you.
Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.